0: Um, what I've done a lot since then is I've went to different parts of the state and I would try to find the most cursed places I could find where I knew witches went where they openly admitted like a place in Florida called the Madeira Bicknell Mounds it's an old Indian mound complex very very highly charged to do occultic activities another one was Crystal River Mounds went there, pray over it Um, claim that land back for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. And um, try to, um, you you pray over these lands, and and, um, I'll try to put the, uh, there's some prayer tenets you can use when you go to these places. Um, Not to say it's the be-all, end-all, but I've tried tried to take this from different ministries, over the over the uh, over time. Now these prayer tenets, and I'm not going to get into all the prayer tenets, but I'll 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 post this this document at the end of the PDF. Well, actually, I'll post this document with the teaching that I'm gonna, I'm doing on this. But what it says in um, and this is the tenets upon which uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us these types of powers to do these things. I believe. Matthew sixteen nineteen says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so I just believe we do have a, a particular, uh, as ambassadors of Christ, we have a particular power to go to these sites and to pray over these sites And you know to pray that you know these lands that are cursed or defiled, particularly by innocent blood or by particular sins that have been committed, that these sins be remitted, that they be removed, that the curse be lifted off the land. That you know um, and claim that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. And I'm just going to read you um, Leviticus 25:23 and 24. And what that says is, And the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. This is God talking. And then he says, In all of the land of your possession, ye shall grant a redemption for the land. It's being redeemed. It's being bought back. God's buying back the land. You claim and you claim redemption of that land for the Lord. I mean, this is ridiculous. All these shows on TV... Where they've got all these haunted houses and cursed places and cursed cemeteries. and, and The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Is this stuff we should be afraid of? And shriek back and fear about? I don't think so. Psalm 24, 1, 2, 7-10. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. And it says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. These are verses you can quote when you go there. You're proclaiming this to whatever is indwelling that land, whatever has been bound to that land or has a right to be there. Remember when I told you that story about that little spoon on the wall? Well, that little spoon on the wall gave that devil the demon right to be there. Well, it's the same thing when innocent blood is shed upon the land or, or some kind of heinous sin has been committed. It gives the demons and devils rights to occupy that land. Um, this, ver- this verse goes on to say, Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, and the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. Now, the one that has went all around the world doing this is is Henry Groover. He's done this, and um, I learned some of this from him um, regarding this particular subject. I think there's a lot of merit to it. Deuteronomy 21.8 says, Be merciful, O Lord, unto the people of Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. In this particular prayer, you're basically asking that innocent blood is not laid to the charge of the occupants of the land. You can do the same thing now. Because if innocent blood is laid to your charge, I mean, that's God's judgment. Okay, so these are prayer tenets that are rarely, rarely, rarely ever discussed. Now listen to this Psalm 106, 37 through 38 says, Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of the sons of their own, of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. This is the reason why these places exist. Typically because the land's been polluted with blood. Numbers 35, 33 through 34. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. Therefore do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of it which I dwell. There's a lot of different ways you can defile the land too. sodomy, homosexuality, Defiles the land, shedding of innocent blood. Sin does to a certain extent, but I think there's different sins that defile it more than others. Um, And then the concept of, of remitting sin. I mentioned this in one of the other teachings. John 20, 21-23 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. And when, you, when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now this concept applies to what we're talking about. I'm not talking about, the blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can cover a our sins. That pays our sin debt. But Jesus is talking about he remitting, canceling sins. Now, where else do we see that concept? I just read it. In Matthew sixteen nineteen, where it says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in him. So these are just some general concepts to think about. I'll post this document with this teaching. So, anyway... These are things that you can do and pray and claim when you go to these particular pieces of land. Now, if all the Christians just sit back and do nothing, guess what? The land's just going to get more defiled and more sin-ridden, and things are just going to get worse and worse. I understand things are going to get worse and worse according to the Bible, but I still think we should fight like tooth and nail. The Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints in Jude 1. We're supposed to contend or fight. We're supposed to be good soldiers. We're supposed, we're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them and to make them manifest. To make manifest is to be able to shed light, to reprove, to rebuke. rebuke. We're supposed to mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. So these are things we're supposed to do. I personally love going to these places. I love it. I just do. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's called to it. I mean, because we're the body of Christ. So I'm not going to make this blanket statement. Okay. You know, everybody needs to do exactly what I'm doing, because a lot of people will do that. But I'm not going to say that. But... I think we can all, you know, pray about these things, and whether, I think it's a different dynamic that happens if you actually go there physically and pray. I just think it's a totally different dynamic that you that you run into. Um, I have went to many of the mound systems. Now, the reason that, in, like, on my particular for instance, the reason that the, uh, the New Agers are totally attracted to this area where I live, and I know this to be a fact. I know that there's a heavy presence of Satanism, particularly in the uh, Naples area, which is one of the richest areas in the country, which is below me. But a lot of it's hidden. This isn't mainstream, oh, six o'clock news stuff. They're the ones that control the media. The reason that a lot of the people that were attracted to this area, and I'm just saying this as an example, is because I believe one of the main reasons is because the Calusa Indians used to live here. Those Indians ruled from Tampa to Lake Okeechobee, there we go, Okeechobee again, to Cape Sable, which is below Naples, where I live. They were the most ruthless Indian tribe, uh, probably in America. They were very intimidating, ruthless. They would go around, they were naked, they were cannibals. When the Spanish got here, they said they were unusually large. Now, there have been skeletons that have been uncovered over in Cape Coral that are 11 feet tall. There have been large skeletons discovered in mound complexes in Lake Okeechobee. Uh, I ought to touch on that a little bit more. I'm going to touch on that right now. Anyway, these people, I've read about the Clusine Indians, and there was no reasoning with them. Okay, The Spanish finally got to a point where they said, we're done. Because they had killed so many of them. If you got captured by Calusa Indian, you were taken slave, and it was just a matter of time before you were sacrificed to their gods. Human sacrifice was the norm. Okay? And, you know, this was a demon possessed culture. All of that innocent blood defiled the land. And the mounds are still here to prove it. In fact, the area that I live, the story that I had just seen up on the internet uh, was that it was like the Washington, D.C. It was like the capital of where a lot of the Indians would make pilgrimages to. It's out on Pineland in that area. There's a lot of islands and places like that. It was a very, it was like one of the main, main, main spiritual centers. I have went out to that mound complex on Pineland and prayed extensively on the mounds, on uh, near the burial mounds. I've been out there, I've went over that place on several occasions by myself. Um, and I'm not saying go by yourself, but I'm saying that was the way it worked out for me. I've went to the Medeer-Bicknell Mounds, up in, uh, below St. Pete. That was one of the main places witches go in the state to do, uh, mechanical, uh, witchcraft workings. Prayed over that, uh, I've been up to the Crystal River Mounds, another main, main place that witches will go. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further into this whole thing with um, the Calusa Indians and the uh, Okeechobee. The reason I'm saying this is I'm trying to lay some groundwork so you can understand why this is the way it is and why things happen the way they do. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read you a little bit. Now, and again, this is one example. I'm not use, I'm not trying to t- turn this into a study on Okeechobee or the Calusa Indians or whatever, but I'm telling you, this is how land gets defiled. This is a good example. Now, it took me, I've been compiling this document, I'm going to be reading from right now, probably six or seven years, I've been compiling information in this document. I'll get a little nugget and I'll put it in. Okay? This is entitled, The Skulls of Lake Okeechobee. For decades, there have been reports of human skulls and bones being found in the shallow waters of Lake Okeechobee. Fishermen would tell tales of catching skulls in their nets. An early settler (coughs) said he spotted so many skulls in the water it looked like a pumpkin patch. Now, how you would see that is when the water gets low. Sometimes Lake Okeechobee, the water would get real low during the winter. And then during the summer, typically what happened before we had the big dike around Lake Okeechobee was that the banks would overflow, and this was a big part of the Everglades. This is why the Everglades, um, it was called the River of Grass. It would actually literally overflow from Lake Okeechobee and flow all the way down the state into the Gulf of Mexico. Well, anyway. There were skulls bobbing in the water look looked like a pumpkin patch. A surveyor in the early 1900s found more than 50 skulls covered in just a few inches of sand. Now what are those skulls doing there? Now I'm telling you right now, they found Indian Mound complexes outside of Lake Okeechobee. The, the Calusa Indians ruled from there and they had whole networks of canal systems set up in this part of the state. The Calusa Indians were so fierce that all the other tribes paid them tribute because they didn't want to mess with the Calusa Indians. They were that they were like the kingpins. This goes on to say all the stories of human remains come from the area between Creamer Island and Observation Island. I went on creamer Island I've been on there two occasions I drove my truck back into that thing as far as I could get it back there until I couldn't go any further to pray but my time was limited and it wasn't I kind of just took a, a day trip out there and again remember I had that dream about Lake Okeechobee the islands so Something's going on there, and and I've never had it fully revealed to me, but maybe someday I will. Theories abound as to where the bones come from. Some think they could have belonged to victims of an ancient hurricane, but skeptics point out that the American Indian populations around the lake were usually small. Others suggest they could be victims of the Seminole Wars, but the only skirmish was an 1837 Battle of Okeechobee, where 30 soldiers fell. Um, Let's go further. One tantalizing possibility is that it was actually used as an Indian burial ground. Um, it has been found all over Florida that the American Indians used waterways and ponds as burial grounds. There's a place near Melbourne called Windover Pond. The Indian bodies actually sank down in the sediment and they were actually preserved. Other theories hint of human sacrifices or villages wiped out by disease. Early... Earlier this century in Lake Okeechobee was at a record low because of new canals that drained the shallow reasons. The shoreline receded to reveal several hundreds of very large, very large human skulls protruding from the muck bottom near the islands. Now remember, the Bible says that in the days of Noah, so as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the Bible says clearly in Genesis 6 that there were giants there in those days and also after that. Now, we know that they were in the promised land, and when you have fallen angels procreating with women, this is one of the natural byproducts, okay? So, they were very large human skulls. I told you, we found 11 foot skulls, or 11 foot bodies buried in Cape Coral alone. So, we're talking potentially Nephilim-like beings here, which would also explain why the land became so defiled. Now, again, I'm not being Mr. Dogmatic about any of this, I'm just throwing out theories there, and I know none of this could have helped. Some early settlers of Lake Okeechobee were quoted as describing the scene as their skulls looked like pumpkins in a field. This was by Mrs. Hovenkamp, the first white woman to live on Rita Island. In 1961, the Florida Archaeological Society uncovered 54 upright, long-bodied skeletons. 54 upright! long body skeletons on top of what appeared to be older burials of the small bone of a smaller bone race of people with elongated skulls and receding foreheads now if you see those pictures of that of that museum in peru they've got all those skulls and they're all elongated they're in lima peru and those are that's a real museum you can go visit and all you got to do is go up on the internet and key in the elongated skulls in peru museum and you'll find them the, the pictures are up there they're real skulls So they've found long bone bodies, unusually large skulls, and they've also found elongated heads, possibly by the original mound builders. Why isn't this like on the the TV? Because it doesn't fit in with the whole evolution scheme, that's why. But yet, if you really key it it in, it does fit in with what the Bible talks about. And again, I've done many studies on this, on the fallen angels and the giants and the Nephilim and Noah's Day. I've done a lot of... This doesn't surprise me a bit. But do you know how hard it is to find this information that I'm reading you? It's taken me years to compile all this. I've never even said anything until now. This is just one thing. And again, I'm just giving this as an example. In the 1930s, in the Smithsonian Institute excavated, called the Chosen Mound, which is a mound outside of Lake Okeechobee. And found distinct small bone skeletons with elongated heads. In 1919, Connolly Nall, a f- surveyor farming on a recently dried island in the lake, dug up 50 additional skeletons and were unusually large bone, and these were lost in the hurricane in 1926. That was the big hurricane that went through there and killed thousands and thousands of people. It was a really, really bad hurricane. It was one of the main reasons they ended up putting up the dike around Lake Okeechobee. The, the 54 long-bodied skeletons uncovered on top are characteristic of the Calusa Indians of southwest Florida, which were known to be a very large race of American Indians, perhaps because of the high flora patate diet found in the region. With flora patate is a nutritional crystalloid salt containing calcium phosphate of fluorine. I don't see why that would make them unusually large, but... Um, that was their theory. It's just like the theory of evolution. Well, how does that explain the elongated heads and unusually large skulls? I mean, come on, you can have a diet. It might make you a little bit bigger, but these, some of these suckers were 11 feet tall. Now, this isn't just isolated. This is, this is... You'd be surprised. They've discovered these gigantic skeletons all around the world. Just get Steve Quayle's book on the giants. Get that book. He's documented tons of this stuff up on his website. Uh, Just look up Steve Quayle, uh, Q-U-A-Y-L-E, I believe is how you spell it. Anyway, so let's go further. Now, this is a little bit interesting because it says, the smaller bone race of people buried underneath the large indians, which had the elongated skulls, may have been of the Central American families known as the Mayas. You know the Mayan calendar, 2012? Yeah, listen to this. Which, if this is the case, the first Miami, this is where we get the word Miami, from. The, from because it, it may have actually come from the Mayans, the first Miami Indians... And that's spelled M-A-Y-A-I-M-I, not the way we spell Miami today. The first Miami Indians may have been Mayan colonists that migrated from the Mayan region of the Yucatan Peninsula, some 500 miles southwest of Florida, via sailing craft on the prevailing Gulf Stream Current. So, now there may be more than a phonetic link between the Miami natives of South Florida and the Mayan family tribes of Middle America. The story... About ancestral America must include the most important legend in Central America, which is the story of the ancient Indian king named Quetzalcoatl, and this is the each in this eastern departure toward the sunrise on board a raft made of, of reptile skin and wood. So <clears throat> this story of Quetzalcoatl uh, would fit in with this, and Quetzalcoatl is the one that the Mayans are expecting will come back in 2012. Now Tom Horn of um, Raiders News Network has wrote extensively in Quezacovil. And one of the main devils, fallen angels, that's getting ready to come back in 2012. And there's probably a a really good element of truth to that. We know the abyss abyss is going to be open, according to Revelation, and we know that there's going to be angels that are released from from the Euphrates River. Well, I'm telling you, this stuff all links together some way, shape, or form. Here's another thing. Get this. From the Everglades River of Grass by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I personally read this book and I personally got the quote out of the book because I've studied this in depth. Page 236, she says, On this coast where every old-timer tells stories of the vanished giant race and where men claim still to have seen dug up enormous thigh bones and jaw bones twice as big as their own. That was from where I live. That was from southwest Florida. That was from the Naples area, Marco Island, which she's talking about there. Now, that's a super, super um, famous book. Everglades, River of Grass, and it's not about that. Okay, It's about the Everglades, and it's about how they're destroying it. But this is something she had in here. Page 236, on this coast, where every old-timer tells stories. Of, but see, you don't have any old-timers anymore. Not like that. This was when, you know, 50 years ago. Old-timer tells the story vanished giant race where men still claim to have seen dug up enormous thigh bones and jaw bones twice as big as their own. I'm telling you, it's, it's a fact that this stuff went on. Here's another thing I found. Fort Meade, Leader. This is from June 30th, 1910, when I'm reading you. Fort Meade, Florida, back from Okeechobee. That was the title. Captain B.H. King writes, interestingly, of his trip. Mr. Ralzenberg, near Tanty. Tanty was a town... That was originally named after a teacher. Tanty turned into Okeechobee, the town of Okeechobee. Tanty originally was named after, I believe, a teacher, and her last name was Tanty. that actually came there originally to teach people. Um, or it was either that, or a teacher, or a doctor. I think it was a teacher. And then it later became Okeechobee, the city of Okeechobee. Okay? But anyway. Mr. Peter Rawlson, near Tanti, in, in cutting a drainage ditch, a large quantity of human bones were found, also very old and some iron bolts. The bones were of... Um, these people must have been Spanish adventurers who landed in Florida long before Ponce de Leon. Going further, drought reveals human bones others find at Lake Okeechobee Bottom. This was from the Associated Press, June 4, 2007. Um, let me see here. A Florida drought exposed part of Lake Okeechobee's bottom. Now this is just 2007, June 4th. This is when we had a really bad drought. Exposed part of Lake Okeechobee's bottom has also been a boon to archaeologists, exposing human remains, boats, and other finds that could date back hundreds of years. Thousands of pieces of pottery, five boats, scores of human bone fragments have been discovered in the lake, the second largest one in the continental United States behind Lake Michigan. Reached a historically low level. I'm just seeing if anything here is more noteworthy. Okay, here's another story. Calusa Indian history. Calusa, an important tribe of Florida. Formerly holding the southwest coast from Tampa Bay to Cape Sable to Cape Florida. uh, Together with all the outlying keys extending inland to Lake Okeechobee. This is a history book I'm quoting out of. They claim more or less authority over all the tribes of the East Coast, north to about Cape Canaveral. They were were the authority. The name, which cannot be interpreted, appears as Calos or Carlos in the early Spanish and French records. Calusa, in the later English authors, and survives as Calusa, village, Clusachi River, in Charlotte, harbor for their old territories. They cultivated the ground to a limited extent. Uh, they were fierce and determined fighters, keeping up their resistance to the Spanish armies and missionary advances after all the rest of Florida had submitted. The men went nearly naked. They seemed to have practiced human sacrifice of captives upon a wholesale scale. And you talk about innocent blood the land, I understand if they're sacrificing men, it's different than sacrificing babies, but still, it's a lot of blood the land. They they sacrificed captives on a wholesale scale, scalped and dismembered their slain enemies, and have been repeatedly accused of being cannibals. I mean, their history begins in 1513 when a fleet of 80 canoes, they boldly attacked Ponce de Leon. Did you know that? This is where Ponce de Leon, one of the main places he landed, who was about to land on their coast. After a about an all-day fight compelled him to withdraw. Even on this early date, they were already noted among the tribes for the golden wealth, which they had accumulated from the numerous Spanish wreck castaways upon the keys in the passage from the south. And two centuries later, they were regarded as veritable pirates, plundering and killing without mercy, the crews and all vessels. So, they didn't have exactly the greatest history. Okay, These guys were really, really bad. What ended up happening is Ponce de Leon came back about four or five years later, landed, he attacked him again, this time he got shot in the leg and and I believe they used poisoned arrows, and what ended up happening is he got infected, he went to, um, he ended up going to Cuba and he died there. He died as a result of the Indians, the wound. That's what the history books teach. And he had actually made a rock where he had put his name, Ponce de Leon, the day he landed, all the stuff, and they found it. Like, early in the 1900s, And it's funny because evidently at the time it was all like poor people and and settlers and stuff, and they didn't really care, and they just let it. They just let it go. They didn't even. They they kind of knew where it was, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if a hurricane came or whatever covered it up, and they never even knew where it went. Well, I tell you, if you could find that rock today, you you might have some money there. But anyway, um, archaeological analysis. This is the next article. Archaeological analysis uncovers the past of Southwest Florida. Lee County was the epicenter of the hallucination. And it says, "...while Jesus walked the earth a half-world away." That's That's the title of this story. Lee County, which is where I live, was the epicenter of the Calusa Nation. The most fierce, nasty tribe there was. Cannibals most likely got some Nephilim blood in them. This is by Stephanie Wessendorf, Florida Weekly Correspondent. The Smith burial mound along the Calusa Heritage Trail is clearly marked by a sign along the path. Now this is where I went to pray. Yet, skulls and bones are nowhere to be seen. Florida laws protect ancient human remains, and at the Smith Mound, they remain hidden behind a fence in vegetation. My guide tells me we've passed a moat that was surrounded um, by the 1,100-year-old burial site. Um, Kara Sweeney, regional director of the Florida Public Archaeological Network, and my trail guide, says a lot of people have said the site is haunted. One woman said she felt a very strong vibe here. Okay, now occultists are attracted to these places. They can go and they can more readily do witchcraft and magical workings. I'm telling you right now, they're attracted to this type of stuff. The 3,700 foot, and this is in Pineland, Florida, and it's funny because I know the pastor has what they call the American Bible College directly across from this, from this site. And I went in there. He's a good friend of mine. He's a patient of mine. And I love him. But he uh, he's a hes a retired pastor. And he has the American Bible College. It's one of the oldest Bible colleges in America. It's, a, it's all correspondence. But I remember I went in there. And I, I got in there. And this is just stuff he had dug up on the property for the American Bible College. Not a very big lot. But it's a prime, prime piece of land. The hotel next to him has been trying to buy it for years. He's got these little cottages set up. But he had all of this stuff from the Clouse Indians in there. All of this pagan... And I I wrote him a big long letter after I had got back and thought about it. And I said, Pastor, I I love you and everything, but you've got a lot of objects in there that are probably cursed. I said, it can't be helping. And I gave him the whole spiel on how he shouldn't be doing this. And he never paid attention to anything that I said, but I tried to get him to to get rid of that stuff, but anyway, um, it's right literally across, I mean, like, you can literally walk across the road and you're right at the very entrance of this big, gigantic complex, which was considered, you know, one of the absolute capitals of where the Clusid Indians were. Let's go further. The site was excavated in the 1890s and again in the 1980s. Over time, archaeolo- archaeologists concluded the site was a major center for the Calusa Native Americans. Mound Key, located in Estero Bay, is thought to have been the capital of the Calusa. That's a little different location, but it's in the same general vicinity. Once the most powerful people in South Florida, Mount Key would be like Washington, D.C., and this would be New York. Now, again, this stuff doesn't go away just because people move in and because time goes by. The blood that's defiled the land, the witchcraft that's been performed, keeps attracting people and occultists, and this is a very, very New Age area. And I'm going to prove that in a second. I said all that to set set the stage. Um, By the time Ponce de Leon led the first documented Spanish landing ashore near Sanibel Islands in 1513, Clusa culture was thriving. Uh and tells about them. One significant clue to Indian site is Mound Key, which is uh, the 125-acre subtropical island on the Estero Bay. I really need to go there and pray. Contained within its dramatic ridges, inland water courts, canals, and shell mounds are archaeological clues that reveal that Mound Key has been inhabited for almost 2,000 years. Native Florida Indians, Spanish fisher folk, and 20th century Euro-Americans made their home there. Many scientists and researchers believe Mount Key was the capital of the occlusal Indians. Okay, now, uh, let's see here. Okay, now I'm going to go further here with this. Now, I said all that, okay, and again, it's bolstering the whole teaching that I'm doing today. I kind of, I know I got off on track here, but <clears throat> this is from an article that I saw a long time ago, and it was called Sacred Sites of Southwest Florida. Psychic Plots, Energy Areas, Stargates, and Portals to Other Dimensions in Southwest Florida. This was reprinted in the Naples Daily News, May 8, 2004. Um, Southwest Florida is a place for healing and improving life, although not a revelation by any means for many who call the area home. Amy Bortner Galuco has gone a step further. She's mapped the area from Marco to Lehigh Acres and marked it with the strongest energy areas for healing, and called it the Sacred Energy Sites of Southwest Florida. Uh, She says, I could feel it would be a place who really wanted to heal. Um, Let's see here. She said, I came down here from Philadelphia because I was ill. It wasn't long before the area cured what ailed her. She said, I could feel the energy. Now, again, look at the foundation we just laid on what was here before us. Okay, and how these New Agers and Satanists are drawn to this area. For her, it supposedly healed her. Personally, for me, I can't stand the area because of what I feel here. Um, <clears throat> and then she says, and being that her job is working with energy at the head of Scordius Center, New Age Healing and Educational Center, Philadelphia, uh, finding out what was here was something she needed to pursue. Bortolino Galaco is a Reiki master. That's evil, pure evil. This Reiki, Reiki, or whatever you want to call it, it's a form. Of, it's a lot of times they incorporate it with massage. It's pure evil. Okay, it's essentially what you're doing is you're demon possessing whoever you're performing it on. <clears throat> she is also a spiritual channel and a Feng Shui consultant, which is where like they tell you how to arrange your furniture and stuff. It's all evil. Offering. Uh, energy balancing treatments, spiritual counseling, and lifestyle consultations. Uh, it was a background that led her to researching the mapping of the area. That, that's become a second home to her. It took years, she said. It took so long that I've only done two areas. She mapped Philadelphia and she's also mapped Southwest Florida. Uh, <clears throat> she started to do workshops and map sacred sites that she's marked. She works out of the Orchid Moon and Sacred Space, both in Benita Springs. I guess there, I think they are occult bookstores. I've worked, and I've went into these occult bookstores and actually had dialogues with these people. I can dialogue with them, you know. I can, I can, I can dialogue with them. I don't try to go in there and, and, and confront them and get in their face or anything. But if there's something I want to know about a certain thing, I'll go in there and ask them about it. Um, she said I've worked with the map and tried to find some of the spots. What they'll do. Typically, from what I've seen, they do this thing called pendulum dowsing, where they'll take a map and they'll wave the pendulum, which is basically demonically controlled. A lot of Christians do this, too. I've seen them do it. And they basically ask the pendulum questions, and if it goes a certain way, it means yes, and if it goes the other way, it means no. They lived their whole life based on the pendulum. And it's just nothing more than dowsing or uh, necromancy, really. You're talking to dead demons. Uh... She goes on to say, during the workshops, she pulls out her trusty map, a huge black and white country map covered in black circles. It's with this that she explains the energy. we're looking at the charts, hard to decipher all the circles. There are circles designated as crystal grid sites, earth chakras, Indian burial grounds, ceremonial grounds, ley lines, ley line crossings, magnetic grid sites. Now, we're going to get to this ley line crossing in a second. Magnetic grid sites, portals, Sites of ceremonial magic. What's a portal? A portal is a place where devil or demon can more readily come through into our dimension. We've done a whole teaching on stargates and portals. Okay? What is the abyss going to be when it's open? They're going to come through a portal and or whatever you want to call it. we to call it a portal or stargate, whatever. It's what the demons are going to come through. Leyland crossings, magnetic grid sites, portals, sites of ceremonial magic, spears of Atlantean influence, and stargates. Some of them are within each other. For anyone not familiar with the New Age terms, it's a bit confusing. So she offers a pamphlet to explain everything for your viewing pleasure. Uh, There's a spiritual importance to it, she says. She said that Southwest Florida is one gigantic energy vortex. For instance, there are two stargates in Benita Springs areas, which is unusual. A stargate is where you can connect to an extraterrestrial entity. Crystal grid sites are areas where a person can most easily work with the energies. Crystals are used for healing, meditation, inspiration. They take these crystals to these sites and they put, they do these incantations over the crystals and there's certain places where that spell works better for the witch. Okay? That's what they're doing. Just so you know, there are lines where natural flows of cosmic energy act similarly as meridian lines or acupuncture points in the body. There are nine crossings of these lines in southwest Florida. Uh, let's see here. She has these places marked and thinks that they are interdimensional doorways and portals into another dimension. There are four in southwest Florida. These portals, uh, the, each portal is small, but she stresses that, is that they are there. As for mapping other areas, she has no immediate plans. I called this lady. I called her and talked to her on the phone. I asked her if she, if she was familiar with Okeechobee. Because again, I've shown you a lot of stuff on Okeechobee today. And I, I can see I can dialogue with the new agers because I can I came out of it, you know, my mom was into it and, and I've studied it enough. I probably know a lot more about it than the, a lot of them do. Um, but uh it's interesting that you know she did this. Okay, so anyway, I called her. I ordered one of her maps even. I said, oh, I want to see this thing. So I ordered it. And um, I got rid of it later. I just wanted to see it. It's just you know probably a cursed item. Uh, it's not like buying the first Church of Satan manual or something, but it is a map and she did make it. And not to say you couldn't pray over it, but I just didn't feel compelled anymore to keep it. but I, there's a picture of her here and um, yeah, if you like, I don't know, I'll probably put this I'll probably put this document up on the internet with this teaching. You might want to read read it. and see. There's a lot more I didn't cover. It's a pretty big document. Uh, well, no, it's only ten pages. Ten pages. Uh, anyway, she was down here and giving these, these workshops. I was actually even going to want to try to go to one of these workshops if I could, but uh, I never was able to get over her. She said that uh, she went to a recent tour of the Ohio Mounds, because these mounds are all over the country. And then she connected to her shamanistic counterpart named Yellow Snake Star Medicine Woman. Ah, good buddy of mine. And then, who guided her activities to clear and activate ancient sacred site centers along the eastern coast. Now, there's a lot of people that are in the high level occult and they're going around the country and they're opening up these stargates. And they're called activation. Uh, I've touched on this with the Stargate teaching I did, but they go around the country and they literally perform... It's What it is, is it's witchcraft ceremonies in order to open up these portals and these stargates to let the demons flood into our plane of existence. It's exactly what Aleister Crowley did with the Babylonian working, where he let through that lamb entity, which looks like a gray alien, and what L. Ron Hubbard, the guy that started Scientology, and Ron Parsons, the man that... Uh, had Jet Propulsion Laboratories did, in the Babylonian working to let the whore of Babylon through. They're doing the same thing. Except you've got witches all around the world doing this in mass now. And they're letting in these entities and they're summoning them and they're conjuring them thinking that they're going to have more power or the world may be a better place or whatever their twisted thinking is. And Christians, for the most part, do nothing to combat it at all. Because they don't know about it. They're clueless. They don't know. Well, I'm telling you today, this stuff's going on all over. And they take their religion way more seriously than the typical Christian takes theirs. And I'm not talking so much to my listeners. I'm talking about the average pew warming, frozen chosen that are in the churches. Um, This goes on to say, here how she learned to diagram ancient earth energy, grid patterns, sacred energy centers through remote map dowsing. It's exactly what I thought. She does it through a dowsing instrument, which is a demon and devil telling her what's going on and what's going on where. Um, Let's see here. During the course of the program, you will learn the real purpose and function of sacred sites, the six qualifying characteristics of sacred energy centers, how and why sacred sites are safe havens in time of change, how you can consciously work with sacred sites for healing and personal growth, and how to use the sacred energy map and booklet. So anyway, that... I called her, got the book, or I mean, I got the, uh, she had a book, yeah, I think I got everything. And, um, talked with her. Uh, it was pretty eye-opening, pretty eye-opening thing. But this stuff goes on, and uh, I won't get to it this week, but the next study, we're going to be playing some clips from Steve Quayle and Russ Dizdar. Uh, Dizdar, Dizdar, I'm sorry. And, um, where they're going to be talking about this. And... Um, this this battle is real, okay? This is not something, and it's going to be more and more real the further we get into the end times. Um, and I won't say a whole lot more about it un- until then. So I've went to these areas and prayed, and, and um, I've went to a lot of different places, the, the place called the Devil's Millhopper in Gainesville, a big old sinkhole up there. Typically, if you see something with devil connected with the... Um, Title, there's been a problem. There's either been deaths there. There's there's a reason that they call it Devil, like the Devil's Mill Hopper. That's a weird place, weird place, in Gainesville. It's a state park, but it's it's kind of you know it's pretty creepy. Um, I've went to areas that were notoriously considered haunted. Prayed over these places. Uh, went to a place up in uh, above Jacksonville. Place where this was called Wikidemus, this entity. Uh, there's a book that you can get for Florida. It's called oh, Weird Florida. They've got weird other states too. And it tells you where a lot of these places are. And what I did is I programmed them in a map quest. And whenever I take a trip, if I'm going to be going through there, I want to go there and, and pray over these places and, you know, as many places as I can. Uh, there's a place on Wachula that I went called Buddy Blue. Bloody Bucket Road, there's a haunted school up there, we went and prayed, Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just sick of all of these paranormal shows on, and all these things where they go in and they act like, oh, we're going to commune with the spirits, and they never have any uh, Christian presence, and if they do, it's some Catholic priest that usually gets his clock cleaned, and it always seems like the ones that come out on top are the psychics or the mediums or whatever. It's a bunch of garbage, but it's all a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie to, to get Christians thinking that they have no power to go to these places and set foot on that land as an emissary of Christ and claim it back for the Lord. And it's not about you, but it's what the Lord can do through you. Um, I went to many cemeteries to pray. Um, Masonic buildings, I used to, when I first got saved, I would go to these Masonic places. I'd wait till they would meet, meet me and a whole bunch of my Charismatic Buddies would go in there and blanket the cars with tracks, uh, that Chick track, that um, The Curse of Baphomet. And what I would do is I'd fold the track over, and I, they, I don't think they have it for mass sale, but you can go look at it up there. I think you've got to buy a whole bunch of them to get the track. But in the middle, it's a quote from Albert Pike where it says, uh, Albert Pike was the guy that, that really revived modern-day Freemasonry. He was the highest-ranking, um, Confederate general ever with a statue of himself inside the city limits of Washington, D.C. Anyway, he, he also started the Ku Klux Klan. But he, uh, there's a quote from him in Morals and Dogma that says, to the crowd, we say, basically, we worship the God of the Bible, the one that everybody adores. But he says, to you, Sovereign Inspector Grand Generals of the 32nd, 31st, and 33rd degree, I say this, that um, basically that we worship Lucifer. And that if Lucifer were not God, why would Jesus, it says, calculate him, meaning why would he de- try to degrade Lucifer? Basically, then he goes on to say Lucifer is God. So these are Luciferians. Okay? So anyway, we would go in there and... Um, one time we got caught. The last time I... No, it wasn't the last time I did it. But we went in there and we, it, was a, it was a Shriner one. And we went in there and we blanketed everything and we got caught. And... Um, I didn't know if they were going to call the cops or whether they were going to try to human sacrifice us or what, but they ended up letting us go. So we got out of there. That was a long time ago. But these are just things, you know, You know, whatever you feel the, led to do. But w- what you want to do is you want to pray and you want to fast before you do any of this stuff. You want to pray and you want to fast, okay? You don't just go there half-cocked thinking, oh, I'm going to do this or that. and you You want to be also led to go do it. You just don't do it if you don't feel... Within you, that you should be doing this. And it's always better to go in two or three if you can. Um, you know, if one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. The, the Bible talks about that in Psalm 91. Uh, the Bible says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Jesus said that. So um, it's better if you can to go in pairs of two. There's also the biblical admin, you know, where he sent them out by twos. Okay, so again, something to think about. Uh, let's go further. Uh, we prayed over Lake Okeechobee. I've drove around the whole lake. I've done all kind of praying regarding that lake because of the stuff that I mentioned today. Uh, we Not too long ago, Taylor and I, went, I took her to Ave Marie, that big Catholic city that's built out in the middle of nowhere where I live. Weird. I mean, this big old, like, town. That they just put in the middle of nowhere. All Catholic has a big old Catholic thing. I mean, it's got shops around this big church. It's it's I don't know how many stories you think that thing is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty tall. Oh, it's impressive. I mean, you wouldn't even have to leave there. You got your college. You got your schools. You got you got a hospital. You got a Publix. It's all Catholic. A store. What a jewelry store. jewelry store. Yeah, it got all kind of stuff there. Um, I actually took... We went in. We went into the building. And I wasn't dressed really for to go in there, but we went in there and I prayed. We were, it felt like death. It really literally felt like death going in there. The, but you, you see how people get hooked into that religion. All the pomp and the circumstance and all the big structures and everything else. It's, just, it's an abomination. It's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on the planet. That's all it is. All it's doing is taking people to hell. So... Anyway, we went there and prayed, and, um, I mean, I don't know, I personally think if you ever get in the habit of doing this, if you feel led, once you do it once, you'll understand what I'm talking about. It's just like you feel alive. I, I don't know else to say, I mean, not to say that I'm not alive, but, I don't know, it's it's a whole other different calling, that that if you're called to it, it's, it's a really awesome feeling, I think. Uh... What else here? I'm just I'm looking at all my my stuff here. I wanted to go over. Um, well, okay, and then the the last one of the last places I went this what, last weekend up on the internet. There's this fervor about it's called the Northport Devil, and um, I had a listener that <clears throat> contacted this man, Susan. And um, she ended up kind of befriending him, and uh, he had he has a cast of a footprint that he said this thing left in his yard. And I'll be honest with you, I went over there and I looked at it and I looked at the pictures they had, and I think it's legitimate. Um, what ended up happening is is they came out right after this all broke, the story broke. And supposedly some guy, this paranormal guy, who was the self-proclaimed paranormal expert of Northport, went over there and said, oh, it's all a lie. I've been there. And he went to Channel 20 News, and they, they got all over the story, and they said, oh, it's all a hoax and a fake. The guy had nothing to substantiate his claims whatsoever. Nothing. It was like the news was just looking for a reason to try to debunk it. The guy had no credentials whatsoever. In fact, when you went to look him up, he had no website at all that connected him to any kind of paranormal investigation. It was almost like he was a plant. And I believe a lot of this stuff is repressed where they're having genuine activity going on so because they're not quite ready to implement everything yet. you know, They're telegraphing a lot of their punches with Hollywood and all the other stuff, but to a certain extent, they try to keep this stuff under wraps. MUFON has been infiltrated. Mutual UFO Network... Uh, They have a lot of disinformation plants in there so that the real truth really doesn't end up getting out. Now, the real truth is that these are demonic, fallen, angelic-like entities, Nephilim-like creatures, and that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. These are things we're going to be dealing with. Um, But they don't want to panic the public quite yet. So, he had people over there with with, uh, pendulum... people that were doing dowsing, which is totally from the pit of hell. Dowsing, they had people over there with Ouija boards. We found out that the guy that lives two doors down from him has um, a... Uh, he's, the, he's the head of the Church of Satan for that area. Now, remember what I said. Occultists are attracted to these types of areas. This guy, I went up on his website, the Satanist. He's got a website up on the internet. He's got his own little coven going on. And the re- how he found this out is this guy, Mike, who owns the house where this Northport devil is or, or has been supposedly seen. He went over there and he, he knew this neighbor and he asked him, he says, could you recommend a plumber? Because he just moved here in like the last year. And so the guy gives him his card, he writes down the name of this plumber he's recommending. And on the very back, he looks and he says, Reverend whatever. So a lot of times they will take that title, Reverend. So it goes and he goes on the computer and he looks it up and he finds this guy is the head of the first church or the Church of Satan for this area. It doesn't surprise me at all. In fact, it confirms things. Okay, so we got the first the, the Church of Satan guy, lives two doors down. Susan was befriending him, she made some videos. She went and interviewed one of the people that had come over there. What this Mike guy was trying to do, because MUFON gave them, came over and gave him no satisfaction whatsoever. And again, it always appears that MUFON's disinformation. They're one of the big organizations that supposedly documents these things. But they do more to suppress stuff than they do to help anything, because they've been infiltrated. Well, anyway, uh, <clears throat> Mike contacted them. They came out kind of a sham. Channel 20 News came out. It was up on George Norrie. The whole nine yards. I mean, this was like... But then, this other guy came and supposedly debunked it, even though he gave no shred of any proof as to why it wasn't authentic, what was going on over there. I'm talking nothing. It was just his word. Everybody just believed him. And he had no credentials. He was lying. The guy's come back since and apologized to Mike and admitted that he lied. So, anyway, um, even George Norrie uh, fell for it. He put the story up, how it falls for whatever. They have interviews of people that have been over there, and the one guy in particular, he saw something. As soon as he got out of the car, he saw something fly overhead. They've seen all kinds of stuff fly. Big objects flying around there. Um, they interviewed him. They interviewed two lesbian witches that were over there, and they had seen uh, what they thought to be like a gray in the woods. Uh, There were a lot of people that have made, what he does is he gets people over there, and it depends who you are, depends on what manifests, because they'll sit there on on the porch, and if you're of the right whatever vibe, these things will literally, people will see stuff. He has all types of guest book entries, people that are unrelated to one another on different pages where they wrote what they saw. People have seen red lights, they've seen lights, they've seen stuff move, they've heard all kinds of stuff crashing around in the woods. Typically, where the things manifest are in the woods on the side of his house? They've got pictures, and I saw the pictures when I went over there. Pictures of, uh, that they've taken, and the one they showed me the other night when I was there was this thing, and it looked like it was either materializing or dematerializing in the in the side yard, and it was really weird looking, and it was in the picture of the film, it wasn't an anomaly on the surface of the film, unlike anything I'd ever saw, plus there was an orb right there, and whenever you see orbs in films, and I've done a teaching where I covered this, but the orbs are um, associated with some type of demonic manifestation, they look like bubbles almost. Except they're usually bigger and they're more opaque. Anyway, they showed me that. They showed me this picture of this gray. It looked like a gray, a fuzzy gray alien in the side yard. I mean, I just don't believe they're making all this stuff up. I did not perceive guile in either of them. I think that that um, um, Mike, you know, I think he wants, he would like to profit off it. Okay. I don't think that makes all of the stuff over there of no effect. There's too many people that have seen stuff that don't have anything to do with Mike. Anyway, I told Susan. I said, "Listen, um, he's had a lot of people that have really run out of the scared." I said, "Listen, here's what I'll tell you. Can tell Mike I'll come over there at midnight on the full moon because what happens is is three days before the full moon and three days after, accumulating at the full moon is when this." entity has been manifesting. What had happened to Mike, and when I went over there he told me this story, how he got the foot cast, is that he went over there one night, it was the middle of the night, he walked out the back door and he saw this gigantic thing in his backyard. He estimated it to be about 20 feet tall. It was basically like a a dragon-like figure. Big red eye, um, like a reptilian type of thing. When he opened the door, it startled this thing, and it pushed off, and it left this gigantic imprint in the yard. He went out there, took pictures of it, and he took plaster of Paris and poured it in to the thing. And you can literally see the hoof, and you can see the veins in the bottom of the feet. I don't know how he could have faked this. And he's got a video up right now where he shows it to you in detail and he even shows you he put his finger down in there thinking well maybe it's some kind of mole hole and he says understand this is my finger impression here everything else is authentic he just seems to be very upfront about this the cast itself is 19 inches long it's about 5 6 inches deep do you know how heavy something would have to be to make that type of impression in the ground thousands of pounds particularly we're just talking it was on grass Anyway, that's where it started for him. And they've seen all kinds of stuff. The kid, his son, who I met, has all kinds of missing time. These these greys showed up in his window. Um, He's got like hours upon hours missing. He was probably, who knows what happened to him. Abducted. Usually when you have missing time and grey aliens show up, you're abducted. They don't have any real protection uh, because it doesn't appear as either of them are saved even though Mike says he is, but he doesn't believe that we have any authority to do anything about any of this. So what I told Susan is, I said, listen, tell him I'll come over there. I'll come over at midnight on the full moon, which was this last fourth. And I said, all I'm going to bring is my Bible. And he kind of thought that I'd run out of there like a little giddy schoolgirl, because I'd be so afraid. Well, I get over there, so we get over there the other night, and we we pull into the driveway, and there's like... 20 people in the road out front, I think there was at least that many, 20 or 15, minimum, you know, one of the guys had a big old English sword, I mean a double-edged English sword, they were literally there, I mean people were pretty amped up and freaked out about being there. We pull up into the driveway, and around the same time another car's pulling up, well this other car was somebody who had reserved the porch where they look out for a half hour, And he told Susan and I, okay, these people are ahead of you. I want them to go first and see if they see anything because he's a psychic. He's trying to get all these witches and mediums over there because he thinks that's going to solve everything. Communicator, whatever. So I'm like, okay, cool. So his son was showing us around the house. He showed us, you know, we ended up seeing the footprint. He showed us some images he had on the computer, some things they had on the the, um, film. And Mike shows up, I don't know, 10 minutes later. And we're like, what happened to the psychics? Well, the one lady that came up, the psychic, who was supposedly a skeptic, got so scared, they wouldn't even hardly... I don't even think they got up to the top of the driveway. They had to leave. They had to go. Couldn't, they, were, they were petrified of this place. So Mike says, well, back porch is open. You want to go out? And I'm like, yeah, let's go out. So we all went out there. They had all the, these four chairs set up. And we just sit down, and we, we're looking on the side yard here, okay? And this is where supposedly, he says, if it's going to happen, it usually happens pretty quick, depending on who's here on the porch. Well, nothing happened. So I had a little handheld cor- recorder, video, digital video camera. And so he says, do you want to go out to the side yard? I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we walked, walked out there. And Susan told me later he would never do that normally by himself. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're looking at this, and, and I'm... Trying to look in there, seeing I'm recording, even though I'm on dark mode. You never know what you might pick up. Well, he walks to the front, and I flip the light on. I got the thing. I'm shining it back in the woods, and then I actually went into the woods. I don't know about ten feet or whatever. The woods are very dense there, very very dense. But the woods are—it's literally a lot, like a very oversized lot. Maybe like two lots. I don't know in one. Very, very dense. But this is where they hear all the stomping around. They say there's past that are worn down there from this thing or whatever. I don't know. So I was back there I was praying and and this and that. And and then he comes back and then he leaves again. And so at that point I went back in there. Susan came out and I went back in, I don't know, about 30, 35 feet into the woods by myself. I got the camera rolling. Um... I'm praying, I'm rebuking,'m I'm, I'm claiming this land back for the lord i'm I'm you know quoting scriptures, these types of things. And so then we get done, and at that point, I think he had everybody leave because the cops were going to come. There were so many people up at the front because this is like a phenomenon down there in Northport or up there in Northport from where I live. So then we walked around. And there's been all kinds of pictures that people have taken where they've gotten all these strange anomalous things on film there. We walk around in the back of the woods, and as we're walking around back, I saw an opening, and she was there with his, his son Shane, and I just walked through. I start walking into the woods, and I ended up walking all the way from the street, all the way through that, those woods, all the way to the other side to Mike's house. In the dark, by myself, of course I had my camera going so I could at least see the light on that. But um I don't I'm not bragging, but I don't think anybody had ever done that. Uh, I just didn't have any fear about it. I just I figure, you know, I got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I believe that if these things manifested, I'm gonna deal with them just like Jesus did in the wilderness. Just like he dealt with Satan. I'm gonna quote Scripture. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So I went in there, claimed that land back for this and that, and then I walked around, and I walked down near where the satanist lived, and he was gone, probably at a COVID meeting. Walked into the woods in front of his house, um, quite a distance into that woods, came back out, just hadn't seen anything, Okay. And then we went into the back, and we were just standing in the backyard for quite a while, just waiting, you know, and, and uh, nothing happened at all. Now, Susan, I believe, when she was apart from me, I believe might have gotten some footage. She put it up on his website, up on this Northport Devil website, uh, some pictures of some lights and stuff like that. I reviewed my footage. Taylor reviewed it once. I reviewed it. I didn't see anything on my stuff. But anyway... I just wanted to let you. That was what I did on when I was saying, "Pray for me." I met with the sheriff on Wednesday, and I went there on Friday night at midnight. Um, <clears throat> a couple other things, and then I'll, I'll go ahead and end this. Um, the Todd Bentley Crusade story. I've probably told you about that, where where um, the guy, my uh, um, our home Bible study, Doug and I went up to there, and that was where we we went to that bloody Bucket Road and to at that haunted school in Wachula. And then, again, I try to incorporate these types of things into trips that I take. Kind of adds a little spice to the trip, you know? And um, we got up to where good old Odd Bentley, I mean Todd Bentley, was having his crusade. It was up at this airport in, um, this was last summer, I believe. And it was right before, well, the crusade had been going, thousands of people, you know, Lion, signs and wonders the whole 9 yards. We got up there and it was like an abomination fest. You know, it was just terrible. You know, they had the whole tent where they're selling all these apostate books and and you know, the money and all that other garbage and, and the circus sideshow environment that it was. And Doug and I were up there and we were really center stage in the very very back row. Todd Bentley wasn't even there that day. It wasn't even there. I'm like, oh man, we missed him. But he wasn't going to deter us from praying. He had some other apostate up there. And there was women, and one woman had a cross, and she was on her knees, and she had it above her head, and she was like doing this real weird cobra dance. And uh, there were other people screaming and crying out and all kind of crazy stuff going on. I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff in the Pentecostal church, though, so it wasn't too much of a shock. But they start singing this one song, and I kid you not, they were singing over and over, Jesus, Jesus, I want to be your lay-down lover. Over and over. Now, there's this big movement in the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, and Jesus is our lover. And I mean, it gets really weird. Okay? Really, really, really weird what they get into. Sick. Really sick. Sick. You know, a place you don't even want to go, even remotely go in your mind. I had a guy uh, talk to me the other day about that. He got real confused because, you know, he's a baby Christian and they were trying to tell him this. And he said, God, be real careful with that, you know, stuff. Because a lot of people carry it way, way too far. We were praying. I mean, we were praying fervently for hours and hours there. And, you know, we didn't stand out because every, a lot of other people were praying or whatever. And so we ended up leaving, and within literally two days, the tents were down. They had to cancel it. The it, it, the bottom had dropped out. They couldn't afford to go on anymore. Now, that tent was supposed to stay up for at least another two or three weeks, if I recall, and then he was supposed to go on some big worldwide tour. Well, guess what happened Within that week, two days the tents were down, within I believe about five days this big scandal broke, where it was found out that he was cheating on his wife, he was going to divorce his wife, and then he had no real apologies for it. And even the, the crazy charismatics that were part of it, they, they even had enough discernment to say, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he was, you know, supposedly he's going to make a comeback. Well, he'll never be what he was Before. And I'm telling you, you go to these types of things and you pray. And you pray the Lord's will be done. But two of us sitting there praying, I mean, it was kind I mean, was it a coincidence? The tents were down, his ministry was exposed. I mean, if he's of God, then bless him, Lord, bless him. But if he's not, expose him. Reprove him, rebuke him. Judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. I've had several things where I've went to Pentecostal, stuff like that. Um, we went out to that Venus project, that thing that um, where they're going to try to build that whole uh, New World Order community. I had talked about this in one of the teachings I did. We went out there. I've been out there on a couple occasions. I prayed right at the front gates of that thing. It's a 21-acre complex with 10 buildings and all these real futuristic things, and these are the ones that really, really want to just exterminate I would say ninety five percent of the planet. So we can live in this utopia where everybody can, you know, be new age and you know, kind of put your belly button in a lotus position and spit marbles out of your mouth. That's what they're that's what they're, they they want to get to that new age utopia, uh, whatever. Uh, just in, in, it just requires eradication of, you know, the vast majority of people. Well, I went out there on a couple occasions to pray. There's also a place out there called Camp Mars, totally gay 100% homosexual RV camp they got out there. You can hide... Some, I mean, Venus, Florida is a weird place. It's, it's, you don't even know it's a town. It's, it's out in the middle of nowhere, but it's Venus, the planet Venus. Trust me, there's, there is a totally occult significance. What they call it is the Venus Project. I believe the reason they built this 21-acre compound was because of the name of the town. Towns aren't named just by coincidence. There, there's normally maybe a higher reason, particularly if it's an occult reason. So you got this, and there, and literally as the crow flies, they're about a mile apart. This Camp Mars, I pra- prayed there too. But after we had prayed there, I had an, a guy email me and say, "Hey, did you know the Venus Project's for sale? They're wanting to get out of there." Now I'm not saying that it, you know, but I'm saying it is kind of weird. To it went up for sale after we'd prayed out, prayed over there twice, and it's still for sale. I just checked last night. You can buy the whole thing for $650,000. 21 acres? 10 different buildings? $650,000? That's a steal! Sounds like they went out of there pretty bad. Anyway, um... That's pretty much the teaching. The next week we'll go over, it'll be like part, this is going to be, I know I went real long. Uh, next part will be part, I don't know, three or four, depending on how I split this up. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. We'll let Steve Quayle and Russ Dizar, um, Didzar go into this a little bit further. I'll go ahead and end this in a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you, Lord God, for my listeners, for um, all of your goodness and mercy, Lord God, that you have bestowed upon us. I pray that you would use us for your glory, that many would be saved as a result of what you would do through us, that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the faith to go forward, to do your will, to be your ambassadors of Christ on this planet, however way you see fit, Lord, You'd use us mightily for your glory. That you'd forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form. That you'd cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. That your fear would be upon us and against our enemies. That you would hide us from the secret counsel of the wicked and from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. That under the shelter of your wings would we make our refuge until these calamities be overpassed that you would protect our families and most of all save our families, our unsaved loved ones, those around us. We praise you, we thank you, we love you. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.